becomes like a fleeting memory. Whatever you grab just turns to dust. Like eye contact with a stranger straight around the corner. It's a dream that you to make real. Passing note of the songs. This might be the most unprepared we've ever been. We, we say that every time. <laughs> Actually, no, that's not true. We don't say that every time. Say some version of it. Yeah. Some, I, I tried to ratchet up the severity oh, of the ooh, comment, though. Yeah. This is probably the most unprepared we've ever, ever, ever been. And then, but that's also not true. That's true, too. I have four things written down. <laughs> we just got to figure out how to get into them. I know. I got a lot of questions. Where there's a will, there's a way. <laughs> he who has a why can bear any how. I'll just, just hit you with quotes all night long. Go. Yeah. If you just sit down and do it, that's the main thing. Well, and, you know, above all else... Stay hard. Stay hard. <laughs> and drink whiskey. <laughs> and drink whiskey. No, we didn't listen yeah, to this. You, yeah, this, this, uh, you sent me this David Goggins <laughs> inspirational running video that uh, I, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on. I just loved it. Like, uh, you know, I think, I think he's over the top. Don't get me wrong. I don't think, uh, I don't think everybody can, can function at his level. But something about his, his way that kind of is super motivating. Him and Jocko are kind of those. Yeah, for sure. In that way. But there was something he said at the end of that video that I think resonated with both of us. Yeah. Can you, can you intro us to that? A little bit, I think. Um, so basically he's on a run and he's just talking about how like, uh, you know, you're on a run, you go from point A to point B from this, you know, from a start to end. And he's making this point that's like, you know, some of the instructors, I guess I'm talking, I think he's talking about like SEAL instructors. Well, once they get to the end, they can see everybody getting happy and then the instructors will just run right past where it's supposed to end. And then everybody gets quiet and starts to hurt. He's like, and that's where I eat souls. <laughs> <I'm> like, Whoa! <laughs> he's like, <laughs> he's like, some people like hope for that end. I don't, I want to keep running. I want the water to be cold. I want the, <laughs> when he says when the ending is unknown and the distance is unknown, that's when you know who the fuck you are. Yeah something about that's just so true. It's, it's, you know, you think of like Frodo, you think of all like the epic journeys. Hmm. It's, there's this hopelessness that kind of, at some point in the journey that kind of falls on you and you see those who give up or who, you know, uh, turn to some sort of, uh, like even Boehmer, like he's, he gives up hope and he starts going after the ring, trying to solve something that, is shouldn't be solved the way he's trying to solve it. Mm. And, you know, even when Alfredo gets away, you see the shame come over him because he's kind of looking for a shortcut and he knew it too. Uh, and so there's something about when you're on a journey that you kind of get to a point where almost of a place of hopelessness and that, that can be a place where, you know, where you, where you kind of break and, uh, Goggins kind of just jumps the shark on that one over, <laughs> jumps way over that. He's like, he's like, he's like, no, I look forward to that. Like that spot. <laughs> well, there is something to it in the space where you don't know when something's going to end. Mm-hmm. You don't know. How does he put it? The ending's unknown. The distance is unknown. Yeah. You discover something about yourself. Mm. And it reminds me of, uh, maybe you can help me with the reference for this, but there is evidence that, your genes will actually express new things Hmm. in response to adversity. Yeah. So why would it be that you would know who you are when the difficulty, the end to the difficulty is unknown Hmm. and it maybe it's because it pulls something out of you that you didn't know was there or even creates something new in you. It's like you you're learning what you're capable of. Hmm. And you can't really learn what you're capable of. You know, if you say, well, I'm going to run five miles, you run the five miles, it might be super hard. It might feel deadly, but then you get to the end and you're done. Mm -hmm. Well, were you capable of 10? You'll never know. Yeah. Or even just that as you, as you get to like, you're at mile four, you're like, Oh, I only have one mile left. And so I can do one more mile. 
But if you're at mile four and there's an indeterminate amount of miles left, yeah, right. it's like it's, it's a different feeling and it's a different well, way so, of being. So D- Goggins, David Goggins, the, the guy we're talking about, he was he was a Navy SEAL, right? I think he was a SEAL and a Ranger. I think he was like a couple of those. Everything hard. Everything yeah. hard. <laughs> well, it reminds me of in, in Navy SEAL training, they basically drown you mm-hmm. so that you know what that's like. You know where the edge is. Yeah. And it reminds me of... Um, so you and I have been doing a lot of the Wim Hof mm. breathing exercises over the last, I don't know, year or so. Yeah. And it's been really awesome, but I've noticed like I'll do so that the pattern is 30 full breaths in and out. And then on the last one, you breathe all the way out and then hold your breath. And he says for like, uh, Two minutes or three minutes. Yeah. I don't know what he recommends, but like mm. I just count, I don't really try to count at a certain time or I don't time it. I'll just count in my head while I'm holding my breath. And usually the first time I'll get up to like 80 and then the air hunger kind of gets there. And so I don't really push it. And then if I do like three or four rounds of it, I try to increase like 10 or 20 seconds every time, Hmm. you know, and by the time I get to like 130, 140, it starts feeling really hard. And I think, okay, well I said I would go to 130, so I'm going to stop. And, um, but there's something inside of me that wonders, well, how far could I go? Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, the conclusion is you pass out. Yeah. If you push it far enough, mm-hmm. which isn't that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. Um, but yet, but still, it's scary. I've never pushed myself that far. Yeah. So I don't know how long I could do it. Well, there's also this interesting thing, too, because I, I do this. Uh, so I get in the pool in the morning and I'll hold my breath underwater and it's interesting, like sometimes I can go into this place where I forget that I even have to breathe. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's really, it feels really good. And then all of a sudden like the air hunger comes and then sometimes I can slip back into that place where it's like, I forget about it again. And the other times it just, like, it just takes over and I'm like, and then I have to breathe, you know? And so it's, it's interesting too, there's, there's a certain like mindset too that kind of comes into place that you almost, you almost kind of like trick yourself into thinking that you have to breathe whenever you might not actually have to breathe right now. You might, you might be able to go another 30 seconds or it goes back to what you put your attention on. Oh, totally. If your attention is Mm -hmm. on whether or not you need to breathe, Mm -hmm. then it's very likely that you're going to need to breathe. Yeah. Whereas if you're distracting yourself with something else, even if it's just a meditative state, Mm -hmm. it's weird. Your sense of time is off. Mm-hmm. Or it gets disconnected from the clock somehow, mm-hmm. and you can end up going much longer than you might expect. It's I find that it's like that with so many things. Anything that's difficult, mm-hmm. you know, it's the same with yoga and holding poses, or it's the same with exercise. Like, <clears throat> you know, it might be really hard for you to do, let's say, twenty push-ups in a row. But if you do three sets, and on the third one you start thinking about something else, all of a sudden you do twenty, and you're like, wait, mm-hmm. I could do twenty more. Yeah. I think a lot of our, what we perceive as limitations are self-imposed. It's, it's so true. Cause like, again, sometimes I won't count whenever I'm doing pushups and I'll just go by, I'll just go by breathing. And then other times when I do count, it's funny when I get to 18, 19, 20, I start to get, I start to feel it more. But mm-hmm. if I, if I'm not counting, I, I don't feel it as much. So there's something about too, is like whenever you, whenever you see the end in sight, there's almost kind of like a, like your body does something to where it like almost starts to get tired or, mm-hmm. or you start to recognize the things that maybe are, are hurting or something right. like that. Right. I, I don't know how to explain it, but that's, I just, I just found that kind of interesting. I was like, Oh wow, that's interesting. Like I just realized I was at 18 and so 19 and 20 was, were harder. Have you ever seen a movie called into the void? Yes. <clears throat> oh, it's an old movie, right? Um, made in the early two thousands, maybe. So yes, <laughs> isn't that hilarious? Like, yeah, yeah, I think no, it was like nineties. Oh no, <laughs> well it's in- incredible. Highly recommended. It's a true story, and and the the movie is a documentary basically, but it's mostly mm-hmm. reenactments. You can't really well there was they don't have any footage of the actual event, but these the two men who the story is about are in the movie telling the story and. The, I, I don't remember what mountain they were trying to climb, but the story is that these two men, two friends, were trying to climb this mountain. And they get up to the summit, and a blizzard comes in. You know, and it's like a, a really intense mountain. This is not, you know, this like is kind of like Everest-type like stuff. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. 
and it's like wide out. They can't see anything. And they, so they tie themselves together with a rope and they're trying to start traversing down. And at some point they're on this very, very thin peak. And one of the guys slips Mm. and falls and he falls off. And it's like the peak that they're on is sort of concave. So he's just literally hanging. Uh, The other guy is able to like dig in some kind of pick or something. And he's just, you know, sitting there holding this other guy hanging at the end, dangling at the end of this rope off of this cliff. And it's, it's blizzard. They can't see anything. They have no, he has no idea how far down this might be. And after some period of time, like hour, couple of hours, I don't know. He decides I've got to cut the rope. Like neither of us are going to survive if we don't do something. Mm -hmm. So he cuts the rope. And this guy, the guy that's dangling, falls some hundreds of feet or thousands of feet, I don't know, hits ice. The ice cracks. He plummets through the ice into an ice cave and hits at the bottom. Like both his legs are broken and one arm and like he's screwed. And the other guy sort of traverses down, gets like ends up getting down to the camp and there's like a, sh- I don't know what you call him, shaman Sherpa, or some yeah. Sherpa there waiting for him. And he's like, where's the other guy? And, and so he waits like two or three days and finally they just sort of leave him for dead. Well, meanwhile, this guy, like literally with two broken legs and one broken arm uses one arm to pull himself out and just drag himself along the ground and makes it back to the camp. And I'm thinking, Maybe that was only, I mean, it's an incredible story (laughs) and it's incredible to watch them talking about it now Mm -hmm. and and how their friendship is affected Mm -hmm. because this guy was in this impossible situation of cutting his friend loose, right? To, to probably certain death. And how do you look that guy in the eye? (laughs) But he makes it and they both live. And I'm thinking, you know, to this, when, when the end is unknown and the distance is unknown, that's when you know who you are. Yeah. You know, if, if the guy knew it was going to be 25 miles, would he have still made it? He was dealing with some unknown. He didn't know where he was. Mm-hmm. Didn't know how far it was. He's in an ice cave for God's sake, but it's just like, well, keep going. How long can you go? Yeah. Either tell I die or I make it. God, that's a trip, man. Yeah. <clears throat> Well, there's just, there's so many of those types of stories where, you know, it's like, how did somebody even survive that? Like with broken legs and an arm and just pulling themselves along and just this idea of like, Oh, one more step, one more step, one more step. And you just keep going until you're there and you don't know how long that's going to be or, or where that is. Or, or if you're even going to get found or something, who's the guy who sawed his arm off? Yeah. Oh yeah. That was another one. I don't know. I just know that, uh, James Franco played him uh-huh. in the movie. Uh-huh. Sawed his own arm off. Mm-hmm. Well, it just sounds a lot like life, right? Oh. You don't know how long life's going to go and you don't know the adversity that's ahead of you. And you know, you don't know if your kids are going to be okay or if you're ever going to find love again, or mm-hmm. if you're going to accomplish the goals that you set before yourself. You just hopefully wake up every morning and say, well, what can we do today? Yeah. How do we move forward today? Yeah. It's like, how do you, in all this, it's interesting. Like, how do you know what the right, the right decisions are? You know, it's like, yeah. And it gets to this, that sort of fun thought experiment. Like if, if I knew the date and time of your death, would you want to know? Hmm. I don't think I would. I think that that information would only be negative in my life Mm -hmm. because if you did, if you told me, Hey Matt, you're going to die at 105. Well, shit, I got plenty of time to fuck off then, you know, like (laughs) I don't really need to do shit today Uh because I know I'm going to live, you know, it would, it would change the way that you, it would change any sense of of urgency you have. Yeah. Yeah. If you knew, I mean, also, if you knew, like, whatever uh, sort of risk you were taking was going to work out, too, like, how would that affect you taking that risk? Like, it's not a a risk at that point. It's just, 
you already know what the what the outcome is going to be. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's where entrepreneurs and and just risk takers in general. It's like you know we so many times measure by the outcome rather than the process that got them there, and 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 that they didn't know that that was going to be the outcome. They could have, you know. That guy could have died in ice, you know, and that story was would never be told. You know, how many mm-hmm. countless people has something similar like that happened and they just died, you know? Like you think about all the people on Everest too. The uh, dead people are literally land landmarks on that mountain. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's an interesting point that if you just measure outcomes based upon like what you predetermine would be measurements of success. you don't even know what to look for in terms of the other positive benefits. I mean, it's sort of like people say all of the time that some version of like, you learn more from failure than you do from success. Mm-hmm. Well, what is that that you learn? You don't know cause you don't know how to measure it and, and you don't know until you go try again mm-hmm. and then it gets better. And you're like, I, Oh, I learned something. Look, I'm better the second time around. Yeah. But it, it requires, continuous participation in the unknown, continuous staking of risk. Yeah. Well, it's also just the whole idea of like even failure, you know, it's not like a manufactured failure. It's like, those are actual failures. Like you lost something, whether it be money or time or effort or relationships, you know, anytime there's a failure, there's a loss of something. And you know, no one ever, never, no one ever sets out to lose something. You mm-hmm. know, it's like, oh, I'm gonna have this awesome adventure. Uh, my best friend's gonna die, and <laughs> but I'm gonna learn so much. You know, like nobody says that. <laughs> well, maybe that's what's so incredibly powerful about the human conscious mm-hmm. is its ability to extract meaning and meaningful stories from almost anything. Like you can tell a meaningful story, even like one of our favorite books, uh, uh, man's search for meaning, you know, it's like Mm -hmm. a horrific story about a man's experience in German concentration camps. Mm -hmm. It's like one of the most horrific stories I've ever read, Yeah, but it's a very positive book. Mm -hmm. You know, how is that possible? Cause I mean, like if you just take him at any one point in that book, it's the worst. It's the worst. And he's, he's basically going to die, but he's a, a conscious human. Mm-hmm. And so he can take that. He can take the worst and literally transform it into one of the most, well, like encouraging and inspiring mm-hmm. best-selling books. And that's, yeah. that's the power of the human spirit. Mm-hmm. I think it's just so hard because like we, you know, we watch these movies, we see, you know, these Ted talks and stuff like that. We want to, we don't, we may, we may not experience things to those degree, um, experientially, you know, like, like actually participating in that aspect of life of going into the unknown. Like we want everything to be comfortable and to be known. It's Mm -hmm. like, like, I mean, right now, even we, we want our government to take care of us. We want, you know, as long as you follow these guidelines, you'll be safe. You know, we want, we want that certainty. And so we try to, we, we somewhat try to live in these bubbles of certainty and safety. But once you start scrap scratching on that bubble, it's like, you start to see like how thin that, that certainty and safety actually is. Right. You know? Right. Well, and things can transform right from underneath you, depending on how you talk about them. Hmm. That's a, well, you and I were talking about this, uh, episode of the, <clears throat> what is money podcast where, uh, hmm. Robert Breedlove interviews Eric Weinstein and Eric has a really incredible ability to see things from multiple vantage points and to analogize seemingly non-connected disparate things. And he, he made this point about, well, about money, and the government saying something like, you know, much needed stimulus is being issued. And he says, he makes the point, well, is that stimulus? Is it much needed? Or 
can I say the same thing by saying millions of Americans will now be poorer because they can't afford risk assets and we're diluting the money supply? Hmm. I mean, you're talking about the same thing and both statements could be accurate depending on how you want to tell the story, but obviously wildly different. Mm-hmm. Um, well, seeing things wildly differently. Like another version of that that I was thinking about today is um, this whole sort of current popular trend of diversity, inclusion, and equity. Hmm. And companies announcing that their workforce is going to be X percent, you know, white, X percent black, X percent Hispanic, or whatever, however they decide to divide it up. Um, presumably to match demographics. Well, is that a good thing or is it literally an illegal thing? Because we decided back in the sixties and put it into law that you cannot discriminate in hiring based upon immutable characteristics, Mm -hmm. which is what you have to do in order to meet diversity, inclusion and equity goals. So which is it? Is it good or is it illegal? If it's good, then what do we do with our law about mm-hmm. anti-discrimination? Mm-hmm. So you're in conflict now. Yeah. Um, you know, all that to say, we don't know what things are. Like we have, we, we humans also have a lot of hubris. Like we think we know what things are when we figure out how to talk about them. But the thing is, there's so many ways to talk about something. And you, we have this creative, generative consciousness and spirit we can transform auschwitz into inspiration which which means we can do that to almost anything and we're doing it constantly without realizing it Mm -hmm. you know and we we arrogantly run around and say things like we're making this a better place by doing this and we lay out our logic and say aren't we good people and we totally fail to see the what you might call trade-off costs, but I, I would say it's almost like what the Germans were doing. Mm-hmm. They thought that they were being good. They didn't see the bad that they were doing because they were so, um, what would it be, compartmentalized or, or self-deceived into mm-hmm. only seeing one piece of something. Yeah. And... It's like while it's like one of these it's it's like a, a tool that's so powerful that if you're not incredibly careful when you think you're improving the world you could be committing genocide and not even realize it. Mm. <clears throat> that's such a good point though. It's like sometimes the very things that we are trying to to bring improvement to actually cause more harm, you know. Mm-hmm. And there's also a learning curve in here too. I mean, if you think of like the industrial revolution and stuff like that, it caused a lot of problems, but it also also brought us into uh, a, a time of prosperity that um, more people were coming out of poverty because of industrialization, even though we did have, you know, polluting in the environment and, and, you know, child labor. And there's some things that really yeah negative aspects. And, you know, and, and, and obviously we, we've cleaned, <laughs> cleaned those up a little bit, you know, as we've gone, as we've gone through time, but, um, there definitely does seem like whenever there is some sort of big change in the way that we function in the world, whether it be, you know, how the industrial revolution basically revolutionized, like, you know, everything from farming to textiles to, you know, how we get around and stuff like that. It's like, there's a lot of positives. I mean, even nuclear uh, weapons and energy, like, mm-hmm. you just kind of see that part that we don't really know what we're getting into until, we realize like, oh, this part's not good. This part is good. Mm-hmm. So there's a little bit of a stumbling around that we have to do. And it's like, so it's like, we kind of have to allow ourselves to make those mistakes too. It's like, you know, you could say that, you know, the whole nuclear project was bad, but was it? I mean, we have this, this, this somewhat green energy that is inexpensive and um, not somewhat green. It's like the greenest. The greenest yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> <clears throat> I 
this is back to a conversation we had a couple of episodes ago about how, well, how do we figure out what is good and what is bad? Mm-hmm. And, and it's, it's like we are all in possession of one of the most powerful tools ever known to the world, which is conscious, a conscious creative spirit. Mm-hmm. Out of that emerges the worst atrocities that have ever occurred. Mm-hmm. And out of that also emerges like some of the most unbelievable things that anyone has ever seen. And whether that's just the unprecedented prosperity that has occurred over the last hundred years, mm-hmm. or, you know, I, I know we like to talk about Alex Honnold, but like <laughs> going from the sixties with people like hauling themselves up a, a rock with ropes and it took him 30 days and Alex Honnold does it with his bare hands and feet <laughs> like four in hours, four hours <laughs> you know, 50 years later, Mm -hmm. it's like, what is it that we're capable of? We're incapable of the most good, but also the most bad. Mm -hmm. And so, and it's all, it's all in, in us. Mm -hmm. And so you're sitting here with this tool, this all powerful tool. What do you do with that? You know, if you could possibly create the most good, but also possibly create the most bad, you could very understandably be just like locked solid with fear. I just don't even want to touch the tool. Maybe I should just not leave my house. Well, like people are saying (laughs) nowadays is like, I don't want to have kids because, you know, I don't want to bring them to this, this world, you know, (laughs) you know, the other side of that could be is like, man, I really want to raise kids that will have a huge difference on that will change this world, change this world. It's a different, it's just totally different perspectives. So uh, it occurs to me that maybe this is why ethics and morality is so important. You know, how do you move forward with this incredibly dangerous tool? Mm-hmm. It, isn't this why we talk about ethics? Yeah. Well, also why we learn history, too, is like, mm-hmm. what have people come that have come before us? How have they exercised their free will? You know, and how have, you know, we can look at how people have been enslaved, how, um, how we've hurt the environment or how we've. Um, uh, thought certain certain uh, cultures thought they were doing good when they were actually doing harm, you know. But then we also see those people that stand out and sort of make these huge changes in the world, you know, like your Nelson Mandela's, your Martin Luther King's, your uh, Václav Havel. You know, it's mm-hmm. like you know. Well, kind of step back to one of the points you made at the beginning. You know, we've talked about this too before, but, you know, you think of all the superhero uh, uh, motifs, this sort of idea that they're kind of pushed to the edge until something extraordinary kind of comes out of them. And Mm -hmm. that's usually their superpower of some sort, you know? Yeah. And I think that's kind of where we are in, uh, in our, in, well, not where we are, but it's kind of what drives us to do something great is if we don't feel that pressure, like a, like a diamond, and, uh, you know, having that pressure, that's something of value. It's like, it's like we have to, we need that pressure on us in order to create something great. If everything's too, if it's too much of a soft environment and you don't have those pressures, it's like usually, usually there's not something that great comes out of that. You mm-hmm. know, it's like, um, you know, I think of all the people that I respect and stuff like that. They they definitely have gone through really hard, difficult things, and on the other side of really something of value has come out of that. So. Hmm. Yeah. So so are you saying submit yourself to the pressure, submit yourself to the adversity mm-hmm. to figure out who you are? Yeah. And maybe this is the response to well you've got the all powerful tool you're racked with fear. You don't want to move forward because you don't know how to move forward. You don't know how to not fuck it up. Mm-hmm. So how about like limit the scope by submitting yourself to pressure, submitting yourself to adversity, which is it's almost rails or rules or, or walls. Mm-hmm. And then you don't have to think, well, I've got my tool that can create the most good we've ever known. I have no idea where to apply it. But if you submit yourself to, to the, the, adver- the pressure of adversity, it becomes really clear 
mm-hmm. where do I where do I apply this magic that I don't know how to wield? Yeah. Well, I'll start right here. Well, it's like you have to, you know, I think Peterson talks about this is like pick up a heavy load. You know, there's something about find something that's difficult and set your set your your attention to that and 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 you're going to find yourself challenged and start thinking of things and in ways that you never thought you could think about them. You know, it's, it's, you know, I'm a very creature of habit. So it's like, I do, I have, I have a lot of routines, you know, and, and those are very helpful in some sense, but then at the same time, it also helps whenever I'm in times of, of, of adversity, because I have something to kind of like kind of set my clock to, it's like, nope, this is what I do at this time, no matter what happens. But no matter how hard it is, I get up and I do my reading and I move through my day or something like that. But at the same time, it's like if you don't, if you don't ever put yourself in a place where you are challenged, it's, it's, it's much like working out. You just get soft and fat and, <laughs> and, and uh, uh, kind of unhealthy too. It's like you have to have some sort of like some sort of regiment that you, that you follow that keeps you, um, challenges mm-hmm. your body. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> this maybe is a good segue into something I wanted to talk about, which is a simple statement. I'll try to unpack it. The statement is creativity isn't very functional hmm. out of context. That probably doesn't make very much sense, but it was something that came out of my mouth in the midst of a discussion and, we didn't really end up getting to it. Um, but you know, if you don't set up things for yourself to do, I mean, so t- take as an axiom, you have to do something. Mm-hmm. So what are you going to do? You know, if you don't set up something for you, to, for yourself to do, you're going to spiral into sort of meaningless pursuit. Mm-hmm. Or, or perhaps much less pursuit than you would otherwise, because you, the world is just so big. Mm-hmm. It, there's so much to the world, and you're you're kind of small. You're not that much. So, what are you going to do? What are you going to even look at or pay attention to? Hmm. You don't know. And so, the basic discipline of setting up a structure in your life. The benefit of it is that you can actually look at the world then. Mm-hmm. Like you've reduced it into a manageable size by saying, well, I'm going to get up at this time and then I'm going to engage in this activity and then I'm going to move on to this activity. And then, you know, and it's a bit loose, mm-hmm. like it's not going to be the exact same every day, Yeah, but it, at least you've given yourself a vantage point from which to encounter the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think creativity is, is very similar. Creativity is sort of the vast unknown. It's, it's, the, it's the chaos from which something emerges. You know, what does it mean to be creative? Like ultimately creative. Mm-hmm. Well, you're creating something out of nothing. So what is it that you start with? You start with nothing. What do you end up with? Well, something, you don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. So pure creativity isn't very functional because, well, you have no idea how to encounter it. You have no idea how to make it emerge. Once it does emerge, you have no idea what it is or whether it's meaningful or useful. Mm-hmm. You know, you're just in the chaos. Creativity is much more effective when there are limitations put on it. Yeah. And, and anyone who's engaged in any sort of art knows this. Like, if I tell you to, I'd like you to draw a picture what are you going to do with that? Mm-hmm. You have no, like what kind of picture, you know, big, small color, paint, pencil, watercolor, mm-hmm. you know, it's like you have no idea where to begin. Cause you have no idea what I'm even asking you to do. Mm-hmm. But if I put a, you know, a, a piece of paper and a pencil in front of you and I say, draw a picture, well, now you know what to do. You can be creative in that scope. It's much harder to be creative in a, an extremely undefined scope mm-hmm. because you literally don't know where to begin. Yeah. 
Yeah, at least with that, it's like you do like, okay, my pencil is the, the paper's the medium and the pencil's my tool. And so at least within this eight and a half or eight by 11 and a half piece of paper, you know, it's like, or yeah, even that can trigger you to like saying, oh, well, actually I'm going to fold this up into something different. And so you can, this creativity going to come from that as totally. you start having barriers. Yeah. I mean, there's literally an infinite number of things mm-hmm. you could do with a piece of paper and a pencil. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Totally. Back to our conversation about infinite infinities. <laughs> we, you need to at least pare down one of the infinities yeah. in order to begin. Mm-hmm. And then even within that realm is still yeah. the infinite infinities. That's Which true. is the same thing we're talking about with pressure and adversity. Mm-hmm. You know, why is it that, a, to use the analogy, a diamond emerges out of pressure? Mm-hmm. Well, something emerges out of pressure. And if there's no pressure, if there's nothing to emerge, things just are what they are. Mm-hmm. So for anything to be transformed, it's maybe one of these, I don't know if it's unfortunate or fortunate or paradoxical, but adversity needs to occur mm-hmm. for something to transform. Well, we even see it with our kids, like, you know, they're, they're in school and it's hard and they're, they're learning their, you know, mathematics and, and, how to read and reading different books and stuff like that. It's like, it's like, it's, it's challenging for them. Like I was helping Hannah with her, her homework yesterday and, and she was super frustrated, you know? And then once I kind of like helped her with her kind of like formulated just a little bit, she was like, Oh, and it was just sort of like this release that she was able to then get, you know, finish the rest of her homework, you know, but but the thing is, is like she needed to get there on her own. So she saw like, ah, I'm stuck. And then the sort of like the Eureka sort of like, oh, I get it. You know, and Need so to get herself unstuck. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and then sometimes we do need help from other people to kind of, hey, point us in a direction or kind of shift our perspective and, and show us a different way of looking at the problem. You know, mm-hmm. I think that's why, you know, we need community to kind of help us to, um, maybe when we do get stuck at looking at something in a certain way, you know? Um, <clears throat> cause I definitely feel like I, I need to be, I need to be more challenged. You know, it's like there's, and I don't know what that looks like, you know? Um, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, you and I read and talk a lot and, and, and some things are just like, just kind of find myself bored with, you know, like, hmm. like the whole COVID stuff. Like I'm tired of researching all that stuff. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's, I'm just done. Remember when we talked about COVID fatigue, like oh, yeah. back in like early 2020, <laughs> yeah, totally. here we are two yeah, years two later. Years, yeah. COVID fatigue sounds laughable. It's like, how about just like COVID? No, COVID. No, <laughs> you know, or just even trying to piece together, like what, what our media is saying and what they're, what they're leaving out, you know, it's like, you know, some of these things are just, it's just like, it's like, I don't want to play that game anymore. It's just, it's, it's just ridiculous, you know? And it's like, you're kind of waiting for everyone to kind of wake up and see like, Oh yeah, they're playing this game and it's not really, they're not there to inform you. You know, it's like, there's an agenda and it's like, those types of things just really frustrate me. Yeah. I want to like, again, I think that's why Elon is such a, inspiring person. It's like, Hey, Elon, you're awesome. He's like, cool. Back to work. (laughs) You know, it's like, it's like having something that's beyond and bigger. Right. To, to, to set your eyes to that. It's like, you know, that all this sort of like distraction that is, that is kind of put before us. It's like, Oh no, no, I see that. That's distraction. Like there's actually something to be, to go after it, to accomplish, you know, that's like bigger. Do you know what it is? No, I don't know what it is, but I kind of, I taste it. I smell it. Mm -hmm. I'm on, I'm on some sort of journey here, you know, whatever it might be. It's like, um, uh, you know, crypto kind of feels that way right now. It's like, nobody really knows what it is. You know, (laughs) (laughs) it's like, there's, there's some parts that are, you know, we're, are fairly defined, you know, but the possibilities are, you know, have no clue, you know, and even like the idea of web three and stuff like that, that I've, I've heard some people talk about the wrong definitions of it. And there's, right. there's all these <clears throat> different ideas of what web three is and stuff. And, and I don't know, there just seems like there's, there's some territory where we are right now that, um, 
like that. I think over the next three to five years, it's just going to be some amazing, um, amazing projects come out of this. Yeah. And I think would probably even benefit us as a species hugely, you know? Yeah. Um, well, I think we're, <clears throat> I'm not so excited about the metaverse stuff so much, but <laughs> yeah, I keep having people that I know and respect a lot have eureka moments and tell me they're sold on the metaverse. And I, I haven't gotten there yet, Yeah, but I do think we, we have the privilege of living not only through a, a shift, one of the biggest shift humanity maybe has ever encountered, mm-hmm. but also to go through that in our midlife, mm-hmm. like to, to straddle it, to know what the other side was and what this side is. Yeah. I mean, if you think about, you know, we lived through pre-internet times mm-hmm. and the shift from, well, internet one, mm-hmm. which was AOL dial up, you know, it's like trying to be on AIM and your mom picks up the phone line and everything, you know, it's like you're, you're offline now. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's going to take two minutes to dial back in. And, um, you know, from that internet to really 20 years later, mm-hmm. 25, maybe we're talking about web three and we could talk a lot about what web three is or isn't or might be. I mean, I think right now it's, it's simply an, a philosophy that has emerged out of this shift from dial up to broadband. Mm-hmm. And what we thought was useful about that actually turned out to be a bit blind because we didn't know what we were dealing with. Mm-hmm. And so web three is like, okay, let's actually think creatively about what we could use this for rather than just emergently about what we did use it for. Mm-hmm. And so you, we don't know what it is. Yeah. No one knows what it is. It's just simply a new direction to cast your eyes at this point, but it's going to transform everything. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, the thing that web one and two gave us is well, immediate access, not only to information, but to the minds of the most, well, of the smartest people on the planet, Mm -hmm. direct access into those minds via podcasts and articles and interviews. And just like, you can go on YouTube and watch endless Stanford lectures if you'd like. Like you used to have to go to college to get that. Mm -hmm. And now it's just free online. I think that we, as as I think humanity, have the opportunity to not only be more well-informed, but better educated and smarter more quickly than we understand what to do with. Mm-hmm. And I love uh, Brett and Heather Weinstein. Weinstein. I hate when people mispronounce it, mm-hmm. so I'm trying, but I do it all the time. Uh, in their book, uh, Hunter Gatherer's Guide to the 21st Century, talk about this concept of hyper-novelty, mm. which is that the world is transforming more quickly than we are maturing into it. Hmm. So we are maturing into a world for which we are not adapted. Hmm. And I think that's a really interesting concept. I also think that we are maturing and becoming smarter at a rate that's unprecedented. Like I feel even just personally, more competent and articulate just over the last two years. Hmm. Like the rate of gained competence, at least in my mind, the, the, the ideas and thoughts that I understand and have some amount of competency in has increased much more rapidly than my days in college. Oh yeah. Much more rapidly than my days as an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. So what will we do with that? Yeah, it's super fascinating because, you know, you do have access to so many thought leaders and contrary opinions at the ready. You know, you don't have to search very far. You don't have to go to a library and and do a decimal system. <laughs> All the books that are like, you know, like, oh, and a contrary view to this or how does uh, who does this guy think about this? You know, um, and, and on top of the fact that it was time consuming to get to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The materials that you could actually get to were by definition, some number of years old already. 
Totally, yeah. Because it takes time. Years, yeah. It takes time to write them down and to uh-huh. publish them and distribute them, mm-hmm. and then you know. But now, any anyone on the planet can say what they have to think and push upload, and I can hear it three seconds later. Yeah. And and I can hear it three seconds later while I'm doing something else. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's almost like a primitive version of um, of an upload from the Matrix. Or even like, that you have a- I know jujitsu, you know, <laughs> it's like I'm going for a walk or I'm right. exercising or I'm cooking dinner and I'm also downloading Eric Weinstein's brain into my brain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's super fascinating. I mean, I wonder if there's a part two where, you know, you know, the difference between like sort of consuming information versus assimilating and, and acting on the information. You know, I think there's, Well, because I, I think you and I both like like we're looking for information and understanding, but it's, it's something. But it's in order for us to act in the world, like there's there there needs to be some sort of action. Like everything that we learn has a call to action uh, in them. You know, as far as like, uh, uh, you know, like how do I how do I see. Um, like what's happening in our schools is, you know, critical race theory being taught. What does that mean? Uh, how do we navigate like helping our kids through all these new questions that you and I never faced when we were children, you know, it's like our young adults too, you know, um, you know, there's, there's so much more information out there to help us to, to act in the world and to help our kids navigate, um, navigate through a lot of the questions that, you know, it took us probably 30 years before like, Oh, that's what that is, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's like, so I don't know. I guess one thing I'm, I'm I guess I'm making the, the point of, of here is that like, it's good to, to take in information and to kind of explore things, but there's, it seems like there's, there's, there has to be some sort of action that comes from what we learn and what we sort of pursue Mm-hmm. If not, then it's just sort of, it's really just kind of useless. Well, there's something really profound in that. Mm. And I think it, it's, it's something similar to the idea that, well, science can't create values. Mm. I mean, science is simply a tool. It's an inanimate object in a certain regard. Yeah. I mean, any set of data, any set of information is similarly this is amazing. It's similarly useless. Mm-hmm. It is, it is as good as, you know, anything in the unknown chaos. It is only the creative consciousness, which acts upon it, that gives it any usefulness or meaning. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's, it's us with our superpower <laughs> that, uses it to act something out in the world. And what is that that we're acting out in the world? Well, I think our, our best effort explanation of that is something which is codified in religion. Hmm. But how would you say it's codified in religion? Like, well, it's back to the idea of back to the idea of like what's good and what's bad. How do you tell what are you supposed to do with the information at your disposal? Hmm. And, and if you, if you say, well, you could say, well, it's self-evident what you're supposed to do with it right this second or in this particular scenario or whatever. But like, if you're, if you try to describe that out to the fullest extent over time into the greatest good that you can imagine, Mm -hmm. that's where you get to something that starts sounding like a lot like religion Hmm. because you don't exactly know how to talk about it. Yeah. Except in symbols um, but this idea that back to the, a previous point in our conversation, that it is, it is the, the human spirit that transforms the worst situation into something meaningful. It's also that same spirit that transforms data and facts and science and information into something that means something. And it could be something you know, like 
commenting on the mainstream media for the last two years or politics for the last two years, you know, I don't know. It sure seems like there's something nefarious going on there. Mm-hmm. Like I feel lied to a lot. Mm-hmm. So what are you trying to transform these facts into and for what purpose? Yeah. Or it could be something more forthright and honest. Mm-hmm. In which case we tend to, I think, rejoice. Like, it's been so strange to me watching over the last, what, just week and a half or two weeks, really uh, since Robert Malone was on the Joe Rogan podcast. Mm. Joe Rogan's been under attack Mm. um, from all sorts of people. And I think, well, why is that, first of all, that he's under attack? Second of all, why is it that he has that his audience is larger than all of the mainstream media outlets combined. Like what's up with that? Yeah. That's nuts. Mm -hmm. What's going on? And I think what's going on is he seems to be transforming the data, the science, the facts in a way that we feel intuitively is forthright and honest. Mm -hmm. It might not be correct, Mm-hmm. You know, but this becomes back to this circular problem of what is correct. Mm-hmm. Correct requires action in order for it to mean anything. Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> you know, he might be wrong at times, but he, he's honest and forthright. Mm-hmm. And so we want to listen to him. Whereas we don't really want to listen to the mainstream media because we have this sense that they're lying to us for reasons that we don't know or understand. Mm -hmm. And if we try to ask the questions about like, Hey, what's your motivation that I don't understand? I sense there's something there, but I don't understand what it is. It's like the response that comes back is you're a conspiracy theorist and you're dangerous and you're a misinformation and you need to go. Mm -hmm. So we don't ask the question because the consequence of asking the question is censorship. Yeah. Or yeah, censorship or just uh, exile of some sort, you know, mm-hmm. as far as, far as like, uh, no, you don't belong in this group. You are belonging in the other group. And I think you've definitely seen that, um, especially with the left again, just being, you know, as if you don't adhere to the whole entire message, it's like they keep pushing people that are left, left of center more and more out of their category because you have to agree with the whole entire message or else you're not in the in group. <clears throat> I mean, it's the same thing with like the, the vaccines and, and COVID in general. It's like you have to, t- you have to toe the line completely and there's no asking questions or, um, you know, why, why, why is this, why, why, what is this other information that I'm hearing? It's like, well, they're <laughs> dumb and they're stupid. So don't listen to them. I'm still trying to wrap my head around that, like how the party of diversity, equity, and inclusion would be so intolerant of dissent. Mm. And I think it has something to do with well, something to do with morality itself and the idea that, like you said, if you don't agree with everything, then you're out. Mm-hmm. And why, why would you be out because you don't agree with everything? Well, because we've decided within the bounds of our worldview that any disagreement is evidence of the worst kind of infraction, the worst kind of sin. Mm-hmm. You're a conspiracy theorist. You're a, well, and I think they did it to themselves, actually. Mm-hmm. I think they, I think they did it because that was their attack vector towards Republicans, but they were so serious about it. This, well, this is why ideologies necessarily eat their own Mm. because once you'd establish these in group out groups and you're really serious about it, eventually everyone's an out group because Mm. the ultimate unit with which to measure sameness is the individual and every individual is different. Mm -hmm. And so if you establish the rule that if you disagree with anything, then you're an example of the worst kind of person. Well, everyone is eventually going to fall into that category. (laughs) I saw this little news clip and you never know how these things are cut. So, uh, you know, but this one guy was saying, it was on CNN. He was saying, uh, 
he's like, well, you know, it's really not the democratic leadership. It's the Democratic followers that are the problem. <laughs> <laughs> and I love that because it's, it's a like, perfect example of what we we're just talking about. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and I just like, I was like, well, it's not us. It's the other us's. Yeah, that they're not they're not towing the line. Right. Like the, the, the yeah, leadership so, is doing the right, right stuff. Right. So then get rid of them, and then you got to divide the leadership up so that you can play the same game over and over again. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, your whole platform falls apart. Yeah. It's like so, no, a good leader like has followers. It's self like, <laughs> self sustainment is self destruction. <laughs> yeah. It, 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 so many things seem like parody nowadays. That sometimes I don't know if when I read something or watch something if it's actually like yeah, right. Like is it. Are they being for real or is this a parody? This is hilarious. Oh no, they're being for real. <laughs> Still hilarious. Just dangerous. It's dangerous and frightening. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. Well, I feel super encouraged by all of this. Oh, interesting. How so? Well, I mean, to our original point, we have this power to take uncertainty Mm-hmm. and transform it into creativity. We have this power to take chaos and transform it into order. We have the ultimate power for good mm-hmm. as well as the ultimate power for bad. And so I think about all of these things, like our ability to talk about the same thing in two wildly different ways. Mm-hmm. I think about the place in history in which we live our access to information into other minds. And I think about the shift in philosophy that's paired with the shift in technology and the amazing places that might take us. Hmm. And I think I'm excited to be alive. Oh dude. I'm excited to talk about this stuff. I'm excited to get up in the morning Mm -hmm. and think, what wild and wonderful things will I learn today? What dots will I connect? What things don't I know that I might know today? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a, that is a wonderful place to be. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> I mean, there's the flip side of it, which is pretty scary, mm-hmm. but you don't get one without the other. No, you don't. In fact, that's usually the best times to be alive is, is whenever that is, is it's, it's the, the higher contrast, you know? Oh, I like that higher yeah. contrast. Yeah. Cause you actually do, it costs you something, Yeah, you know? And I think that's, you only value things, things you value the most cost you the most, you know? And, and yeah. And whether it be time or energy or reputation or, uh, whatever it might be, it's like, you know, to to spend that to spend that cost and and to get get that get those diamonds and uh, the valuableness that comes out of that. So. Mm. Hmm. Well, we're living in a world that is <clears throat> simultaneously rich in opportunity and increasingly free, mm-hmm. like free in that. <clears throat> so much of what we value, the cost has come down. Mm. I mean, even to our point about information, yeah. you used to have to go to school. You used to have to go to a library. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> now I just can consume it all day long at my own <clears throat> leisure. Yeah. So the cost has come down, which means the opportunity has gone up. Mm-hmm. And the things that I'm now free to and capable of valuing and obtaining Mm -hmm. are of much higher value than they used to be because I didn't used to have access to them. Yeah. Now I do. Mm -hmm. So I love, um, Anthony Pompliano. It's one of the crypto guys that you and I follow. He's got, what's his podcast called? Pomp, pomp podcast, pomp, pomp podcast. A lot of peas in there. (laughs) (laughs) Um, he's a good Twitter follow. I think, I don't know if he's still doing it, but like it, for a while, at least every morning, his first tweet of the day was good morning. Let's get after it relentlessly today. <laughs> uh-huh. And I think, hell yeah, <laughs> let's get after it relentlessly. I like that. Yeah. I think I need a little bit more. I need some, um, 
I need some go juice after like the 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 new year. I don't think I don't think I hit the I don't go think juice. I, uh-huh, I don't think I hit this uh, this January very hard yet. <clears throat> Which I usually run pretty hard well, in general. But like, <laughs> right. Well, <laughs> to be fair, mm-hmm. you and I have both been sick in January. Mm-hmm. Likely the COVID. <laughs> Uh, as have most people, apparently. Yeah. Uh-huh. <clears throat> um, and we live in strange times. We do, yeah. And I have a feeling that there is... Well, there's going to be much motivation coming up. I think so. Yeah. I'm hopeful. Yeah. Because I did just get the new email Gilcrest. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> the Matter of Things, I believe it's called. Uh-huh. Dude. Can't wait to read that. Yeah. Yeah, so if y'all haven't read The Master and His Emissary by Emo Gilcrest, it is phenomenal. We've and only been talking about that book for two years. Yeah, I know. If you've listened to this podcast <clears throat> at least like five times, you've probably heard us mention. Yeah, yeah. But his new book came out. It's really expensive, but it's really well made. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's re- it is really expensive. It's like $150. Yeah. yeah. Which basically for reasons books, that we don't understand, yeah. but I think worth it. Mm-hmm. I haven't read it yet. Yeah. Neither of you. No, I haven't either. Yeah. <laughs> I just got it. <laughs> We're looking forward to it. We'll uh, tell you all about it. Don't worry. Yeah, don't worry. <laughs> exactly. Mm. All right. Should we leave it right there? Yeah, let's do it. That sounds good. Yeah. Well, thanks guys cool. for coming out. Any last words? Um, I think I gave my encouraging bit. No, you did. Yeah. Yeah. So be encouraged. So be encouraged, you know? <laughs> <laughs> if you're not, rewind like three minutes and listen again, all right? There you go. <laughs> Quit your complaining. <laughs> all right. I love you all. See you guys. Bye. Bye.